Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 26th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Troy Slayton, a partner with the firm Floyd, Scarron & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeals set limits on apportionment rules, disallowing apportionment to the unsatisfactory results of a surgery for an industrial injury. Here's what happened in the case of Hakaida versus the WCAB. Maureen Hakaida was employed by Costco from 1984 to 2010. During this period, she developed a number of medical conditions, including carpal tunnel syndrome. In May 2010, she took leave from work to undergo carpal tunnel surgery. Following the surgery, she developed chronic regional pain syndrome, a condition that caused her debilitating pain in her upper extremities and severely impaired her ability to function. An AME in orthopedics found her permanently and totally disabled from the labor market. He found that her permanent total disability was due entirely to the effects of the chronic regional pain syndrome and that she developed this as a result of the failed carpal tunnel surgery. He further concluded that her carpal tunnel condition itself was 90% due to industrial factors and the remaining 10% due to non-industrial factors. Based on that opinion, the WCAG the WCJ, the WorkComp judge, awarded her 90% disability after apportionment. In a two-to-one decision, the board affirmed the apportionment. The majority of the WCAB panel concluded that it was necessary to, quote, parcel out, end quote, the causative sources of the permanent disability, and, quote, decide the amount directly caused by the current industrial source, end quote. But the Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB and awarded unapportioned 100% disability in the published case, Hakaida versus WCAB. The issue presented is whether an employer is responsible for both the medical treatment and any disability arising directly from unsuccessful medical treatment without apportionment. The Court of Appeal concluded that despite significant changes in the law governing workers' compensation in 2004, disability resulting from medical treatment for which the employer is responsible is not subject to apportionment. Here, there's no dispute that the disabling carpal tunnel syndrome from which Hakaida suffered was largely the result of her many years of clerical employment with Costco. It followed that Costco was required to provide medical treatment to resolve the problem without apportionment. The surgery went badly, leaving her with a far more disabling condition, chronic regional pain syndrome that will never be alleviated. California workers' compensation law relieves Costco of liability for any negligence in the provision of the medical treatment that led to the petitioner's CRPS. It does not relieve Costco of the obligation to compensate the petitioner for this disability without apportionment. In enacting the new regime of apportionment based on causation, the legislature did not intend to transform the law requiring employers to pay for all medical treatment caused by an industrial injury, including the foreseeable consequences of such medical treatment. Yu Quinn Zhu was hired as a home caretaker by the California State Department of Social Services. The department added Zhu to the Registry of Qualified Workers. Zhu reviewed the registry of patients, contacted persons on the registry, and then interviewed her selections so that both parties could decide whether Zhu would work as their caretaker. The patient Zhu cared for set her schedule and told her what her duties were for each day. 
Zhu worked in this capacity for the department from 2003 through 2015. During this time, Zhu was paid by the department every two weeks with one paycheck for all the work performed at different homes. She was not paid for transportation to, from, or in between locations. In 2015, Zhu cared for a couple living in Monterey Park from approximately 8.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. daily. She was then scheduled to care for a woman in Alhambra in the afternoon. While she was riding her bike from Monterey Park to the house in Alhambra, Zhu was involved in a bicycle versus automobile collision. Her workers' compensation claim was heard on the limited issues of employment and injury arising out of and in the course of employment, AOE-COE. The, the WCJ, the workers' compensation judge, found Zhu's injury compensable for her, quote, transportation between the client's homes because it was, quote, a mandatory part of the employment, end quote. A majority of the appeals board rescinded the WCJ's decision after granting reconsideration, recon. The board reasoned that Zhu chose her own clients, work locations, and set her own hours, and merely used the department to obtain client referrals. The means of transit the means of transit were immaterial to the department and travel by bicycle was for Zhu's own convenience and benefit. The dissenting WCAB commissioner agreed with the WCJ and found that there was, quote, an implied requirement that Zhu furnish her own transportation to travel between disabled clients, care for whom is the responsibility of the defendant. The dissent found Zhu qualified for the required vehicle exception to the going and coming rule because the employer received a benefit from the employee's provision of her own transportation between job sites. But the Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB and extended the application of the going and coming rule in the published case of Zoo versus WCAB. The going and coming rule applies to, quote, a local commute en route to a fixed place of business at fixed hours. Thus, if the employee is commuting between his or her home and a place of work at the time of day that is usual for the commute, the going and coming rule applies. Zhu was not commuting between home and the workplace at a fixed time for that commute when she was injured. In these cases, the real issue is not whether the going and coming rule applies, but whether the transit is part of the employment or the employment relationship. Zhu's transit was for the department's benefit and was impliedly requested by the department. For these reasons, her injury was found to be compensable. In 2015, the Court of Appeal upheld the constitutionality of the IMR process in one of the most closely watched cases in California workers' compensation history. The published case of Stevens v. WCAB involved Frances Stevens, who tripped and broke her foot as she carried a box of magazines. She was diagnosed with chronic or complex regional pain syndrome and claims to be mostly confined to a wheelchair and was awarded total permanent disability. For several years, she had the assistance of a home health aide. In late 2012, the aide was injured. This led to the PTP submitting a request for authorization to the state fund for a replacement aid, which was submitted to UR and subsequently denied. The request was also denied after the IMR process. 
Stevens appealed the IMR decision, but the WCJ found that there was no provision for a reversal since the labor code provided only limited circumstances upon which IMR can be reversed. Stevens also challenged the constitutionality of the IMR process. But Section 3.5 of Article 3 of the California Constitution withholds from administrative agencies the power to determine the constitutionality, the constitutional validity of any statute. The WCAB denied reconsideration and agreed that it could not rule on the constitutional issue. The First District Court of Appeal held that, quote, her state of constitutional challenges fails because the legislature has plenary powers over the workers' compensation system. Although Stevens may have lost the battle, she may not have lost the war, since she was given a second chance to prove her case on the merits. The Court of Appeal stated that the board is empowered to review an IMR decision to consider whether care was denied without authority because the care is authorized under the MTUS. The Court of Appeal remanded the case to consider whether Stevens' request for a home health aid was denied without authority. And indeed, the WCAB recently ruled in its opinion and decision after remitted her, quote, the 2009 treatment guideline is unlawful and invalid since it fails to address the medical treatment in the form of personal home care services sought by Mrs. Stevens. For that reason, it concluded that the Independent Medical Review, IMR determination, was adopted without authority by the Administrative Director of the Division of Workers' Compensation. In arriving at this conclusion, the WCAB interpreted the language of the Court of Appeal in the published decision as authorizing the WCAB to have considerable authority over IMR. This is likely not to be the final word on the Stevens dispute as it is expected that further appeals will follow after this decision uh, after remand. Challenges to the constitutionality of workers' compensation programs or components of such programs seems to be under unrelenting pressure from lawyers. California will be facing a ruling this month in a case filed by Dr. Eduardo Aguizola who is facing multiple counts of insurance fraud by Orange County prosecutors. He's filed a federal lawsuit that claims that SB 1160 and Labor Code 4615, the anti-fraud law that took effect January 1st, violates his rights to due process of law and to make a contract and to hire and pay his criminal defense attorneys. Federal, federal Judge George Wu will decide his case. Judge Wu previously ruled on the constitutionality challenge to the reinstatement of the $100 lien filing fee as a result of SB 863 several years ago in the Angelotti chiropractic case. In 2015, the California Court of Appeal upheld the constitutionality of the IMR process in the published case of Stevens v. WCAB. And earlier this year, Daniel Ramirez also lost his constitutional challenge of the IMR and UR utilization review process. Ramirez wanted discovery to, to determine whether the doctor performing the independent medical review was biased or had a conflict of interest. And there seems to be an abundance of such constitutional challenges across the nation. This week, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court agreed with Mary Ann Protz with respect to her constitutional challenge to the AMA guides. Protz argued that the Pennsylvania General Assembly 
unconstitutionally delegated to the AMA the authority to establish criteria for evaluating permanent impairment. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court held that it does. And there are numerous other examples. In 2016, the Oklahoma Supreme Court dealt several blows to the state's 2013 workers' comp overhaul by finding unconstitutional a provision of the Oklahoma Administrative Workers' Compensation Act. Last month, a court found two provisions of the Alabama workers' compensation law, the $220 a week cap in compensation for injured workers and the 15% cap on attorney's fees unconstitutional in the case of Nora Clower versus CVS Caremark. And because one or more of the provisions of the law were found unconstitutional, the entire act was struck down. The circuit judge stayed the order for 120 days to give the Alabama legislature time to act. And last year, the state of Florida workers' compensation system suffered another blow when the Florida Supreme Court ruled that another part of the state's workers' compensation insurance scheme unconstitutional. And now for our crime report. If records were maintained listing egregious behavior on the part of licensed physicians who illegally prescribe opiate medications, this New York doctor would likely rank very high on the list. Federal agents and police officers arrested 74-year-old Dr. David Taylor and two others for allegedly running a pill mill on Highland Boulevard on Staten Island. According to authorities, the doctor diverted 4 million pills with a street value of over $40 million to Staten Island residents. The pain management specialists allegedly took money and goods, including single malt whiskey, for the prescriptions. The Fed said that the doctor would write scripts for oxycodone and Xanax without even an examination, MRIs, or medical records. In addition to Taylor, Vito Galicchio and Daniel Garcia were arrested on charges that they conspired with Taylor to distribute oxycodone. This offense carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. The case is a sad example of how far a single physician can cross the line into the shadowy underground world of narcotic addiction. Operation Backlash has been an extensive FBI-led undercover investigation that revealed a widespread workers' compensation kickback scheme. Prosecutions include attorneys, doctors, and medical providers who referred patients for health services in exchange for money. It was alleged in one of the indictments that Los Angeles radiologist Ronald Gruzd paid bribes to a San Diego chiropractor in exchange for patient referrals. Gruzd practice California Imaging Network Medical Group has clinics in San Diego, Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, Fresno, Rialto, Santa Ana, Studio City, Bakersfield, Calexico, East Los Angeles, Lancaster, Victorville, and Visalia. The bribes were allegedly funneled to the chiropractor through his corporation Willows Consulting, a shell company. The checks were labeled professional services, but this was allegedly a sham. In March, defendants Gruzd, California Imaging Network Medical Group and Willow's Consulting Company rejected a plea offer in the case. His trial's now set for October 10th before Judge Cynthia Bashnat. The U.S. Attorney's Office also announced federal indictments against additional defendants. They include patient recruiters, Furman Iglesias, Carlos Arguello, Miguel Morales, and four other corporations. The corporations are Providence Scheduling, Inc., MedEx Solutions, Inc., 
Prime Holdings International, Inc., and Meridian Medical Resources, Inc., doing business as Meridian Rehab Care. The three federal defendants are accused of recruiting individuals to file workers' compensation claims resulting from an on-the-job injury. The defendants then directed these patients to specific chiropractors. Prosecutors claim the purpose of the conspiracy was to submit claims for ancillary procedures and that they were secured through a pattern of bribes and kickbacks in the form of an illegal cross-referral scheme. Last March, Providence Scheduling entered into an agreement to plead guilty. A June 19th docket minute order reflects that the company was given probation for a term of three years, fined $100,000 plus a $400 assessment, but no restitution was ordered. Department of Insurance detectives and investigators with the Silicon Valley Organized Auto Insurance Fraud Task Force arrested 14 people and are seeking four additional suspects for allegedly running an organized auto insurance fraud ring. More than 75 felony charges were filed against the 18 subjects, including the owners of Espinoza Body Shop in San Jose. 31-year-old Gerardo Ivan Espinoza Martinez and his wife, 29-year-old Ava Maria Espinoza. Investigators say that the crime ring staged 15 crashes and filed insurance claims receiving payouts totaling around $150,000 from six different insurance companies, including some of the largest auto insurers in the nation. Espinoza Body Shop was involved in seven of the 15 different false claims. Officials say that organized crime rings are not only responsible for the majority of stage collisions, they also have targeted innocent motorists and they result in serious injuries. Suspicious circumstances in a reported crash caused an insurance company to report the claim to the National Insurance Crime Bureau. The case was then referred to the Department of Insurance Silicon Valley Organized Auto Insurance Fraud Task Force. Investigators found evidence that the suspects purchased insurance policies shortly before the alleged accident and intentionally damaged or crashed cars into other vehicles owned by the co-conspirators. In most cases, insurers totaled the vehicles and were paying the owners the full value of the cars. Many of the vehicles were used in the scheme multiple times, including an aging Pontiac used in three separate stage accidents, all within a single year. And in regulatory news, the W the DWC announced that the 2018 minimum and maximum temporary total disability rates will increase again on January 1st, 2018. The minimum TTD rate will increase from $175.88 to $182.29, and the maximum TTD rate will increase from $1,172.57 to $1,215.27 per week. The labor code requires that the rate for TTD be increased by an amount equal to the percentage increase in the state average weekly wage as compared to the prior year. This is defined as the average weekly wage paid to employees covered by unemployment insurance as reported by the United States Department of Labor for California for the 12 months ending March 31st. In the 12 months ending March 31st, 2017, the state average weekly wage increased from $1,164.51 to $1,206.92, an increase of 3.642%. 
workers with a date of injury after January 1st, 2003, who are receiving life pension or permanent total disability benefits are also entitled to have their weekly life pension rate adjusted based on the increase. And in medical news, a new medical research study found that chronic lower back pain is equally likely to improve with yoga classes as with physical therapy. The research published in the Annals of Internal Medicine showed that 12 weeks of yoga, less, of yoga lessened pain and improved function in people with low back pain as much as physical therapy sessions over the same period. About 10% of U.S. adults experience low back pain, but not many are happy with the available treatments. The American College of Physicians advised in February that most people with low back pain should try non-drug treatments like superficial heat or massage before reaching for medications. Physical therapy is the most common non-drug treatment for low back pain prescribed by doctors, but yoga is also backed by some guidelines and studies as a treatment option, but until now, no research has compared the two. Indeed, the California Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule Chronic Pain Treatment Guideline adopted by the DWC on July 28, 2016 also recommends yoga. The published guideline, applicable to California workers' compensation claims, provides on page 182 that yoga is recommended as an option for motivated patients. The same guideline says that there is considerable evidence for efficacy for mind-body therapies such as yoga in the treatment of chronic pain. For the new study, the researchers recruited 320 adults with chronic low back pain. The participants were racially diverse and tended to have low incomes. The participants were randomly assigned to one of three groups. One group took part in a 12-week yoga program designed for people with low back pain. Another took part in a physical therapy program over the same amount of time. People in the third group received a book with comprehensive information about low back pain and follow-up information every few weeks. It was concluded that 48% of yoga participants and 37% of physical therapy participants reached that specified goal, compared to only 23% of people who were in the education group. For achieving noticeable differences in pain, physical therapy was again no better or worse than yoga. The researchers found that the improvements among people in yoga and physical therapy groups lasted throughout the year which indicates continued improvement into the future. And in industry news, the firm of Laughlin, Falbo, Levy, and Moresi announced the passing of the founding partner, Michael William Laughlin. He was surrounded by his loving family when he passed away on Saturday, June 17th. In addition to being a pillar of the legal community, his colleagues say that Mike will forever be remembered with the highest regard as a family man, friend, partner, mentor, coach, and competitor to many. Mr. Laughlin obtained his undergraduate degree in 1960 from the University of Notre Dame and was a 1963 graduate of the Indiana University School of Law. He's been a member of the California Bar since 1965. Mr. Laughlin retired a few years ago, but was one of the leading California workers' comp defense attorneys for decades. Earlier in his career, he practiced in San Diego with the firm Sedgwick, Dietert, Morden, and Arnold. And around 1985, he and a number of his partners left and formed Laughlin, Fabo, Levy, and Marisi. Over the years, they grew the Laughlin firm to where it is now, having 160 attorneys and a statewide presence. 
His passing is a reminder that some of the most effective attorney advocates are not always the ones with a blustery, take no prisoners approach. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Andrew Android device by searching for WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Troy Slayton, a partner with the firm Floyd, Scarron & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today and drop by again next week for more news.